0: So that brings us to chapter 13, verse 1. The Samson story. So welcome to the overgrown, spoiled little toddler in the body of a 40-year-old man. The Israelites again did evil in Yahweh's sight. So Yahweh handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. What's missing now? They're not crying out this time. Do they not believe that God will rescue them anymore? Do they have no understanding of God's ability? Have they become so comfortable and so compromised with the enemy they don't even see the need to be rescued anymore? Who knows? But either way, they're not turning to God for any reason whatsoever. And so the cycle, I mean, we're used to seeing, and he gave them over, and they cried out to God, and he rose up and deliver, and now it's just like they did evil and God handed them over. The end. The cycle is getting shorter and shorter. But now Samson is going to have a long story. It's just right up there with Gideon. One of the reasons is he's the final judge. Samson is the, the, the final. And then this is the idea. This is where everybody ends up eventually. All nations, all institutions end up at this point if there's no revival. If there's no revival. So there was a man named Manoah from Zorah, from the Danite tribe. His wife was infertile and childless. So Dan is up here. So he's from this region. And we're told that Manoah had a wife. And we're told that she's infertile. And immediately what you think of is... Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. This long line of God doing miraculous things. So the narrator sets you up and you now expect a miraculous pregnancy. In some kind of a way. Yahweh's angelic messenger appeared to the woman and said to her, You are infertile, infertile and childless. But you will conceive and have a son. Now be careful. Do not drink wine or beer, and do not eat any food that will make you richly unclean. Look, you will conceive and have a son, and you must never cut his hair, for the child will be dedicated to God from birth, and he will begin to deliver Israel from the power of the Philistines. The angel comes to her, and just like Sarah and Rebekah with his angelic, See, Sarah had God come to her specifically and say, you're going to have a child. God came to Rebecca in a vision and said, you're going to have a child. So we see the same thing. And he says this. He is to be a Nazarite. He doesn't specifically say that, but everybody knows that. So if I, if I describe a vehicle that has like three rows of seats and it has sliding doors on the side and a hatchback in the back, and everybody would say, a van. And I don't have to say it. So God describes the criteria to her. It's a Nazarite. And the instructions for a Nazarite come from number six. And a Nazarite was like a personal covenant you can make with God. It has nothing to do with Nazareth, the town that Jesus is from. A Nazarite happened in other cultures as well. And basically what a Nazarite is, it says that I would like to function at the same holiness level as the priest's. I'm going to dedicate my life to being a pastor. I'm not allowed to go in the tabernacle because I'm not a Levite. I'm not allowed to make sacrifices because I'm not a Levite. But I want to be like a Levite in, my, in a sense of ministry, dedicate myself to God and try to serve him. And it usually involves some kind of task. Nazarite's vows were temporary. You can make them for however long you want. Most of the time we assume this suggests that they're months long. And so in this Nazarite vow, what you do is you, you, you have to live at the same level as the priest and your, your lifestyle. And that meant you're not allowed to drink anything that's alcohol fermented, and you're not allowed to drink anything that could be fermented. So you're not allowed to have grape juice, which grape juice didn't really exist, because if you ever take pure grapes and put them out on the shelf, they don't last very long before they begin to ferment. I mean, the only reason they don't ferment in your refrigerator now is because we have refrigeration, tons of chemicals in it, and we boiled all the nutrients out. So you're not allowed to eat grapes. You're not allowed to drink grape juice. You're not allowed to eat honey because honey can be fermented. So you're supposed to abstain from anything that has any connection to fermentation and alcohol because the idea is that you're completely holy and controlled by God's Spirit, so to speak. And you're not allowed to touch any dead bodies whatsoever. Now the law said that if you touched a dead body, like burying your relatives or killing somebody, that you were unclean for seven days, but it wasn't a sin kind of a thing. But for the priests, they weren't allowed to touch dead bodies ever. You are dedicating yourself to God. And the sign, remember every covenant has a sign. The marriage is the wedding ring. But the sign was growing your hair out, not cutting your hair. So two things happen with your hair. When you get done with your vow, let's say you say, I'm going to give myself to God for six months. At the end of six months, you go into the temple or a tabernacle, you make sacrifices, you cleanse yourself, and you cut your hair. And it shows that your vow is now over with. If you violated your vow and did something that you weren't supposed to, then you have to go into the temple, tabernacle, you have to cleanse yourself, you have to make sacrifices for breaking it and sacrifices of atonement. You have to cut your hair and start all over again. Because you made a vow to God that you have to complete. And that's what a Nazarite is. Couple examples of Nazarite is Samuel's one. Hannah dedicates her son to be a Nazarite his entire life, which is interesting because he was also a Levite, so she, he didn't technically have to be that. And then Paul actually took a Nazarite vow when he was with Timothy, and and he, he goes in the temple and he shaves his head and that kind of stuff to show that he's in. He actually completed his faithful. John the Baptizer might have been a Nazarite. The way he's described seems Nazarite like. Elijah might have been a Nazarite, but we're not really clear. I mean, they just, it says they have really wild hair and they wear animal skin. So they could just be cavemen for all we know. But here, God is saying, this is the only time in the Bible where God says, he, I'm declaring him to be a Nazarite. And he's going to be a Nazarite for life. And the implication, is she also has to be a Nazarite for her nine months of carrying the baby. What is Samson's purpose according to God? To begin the deliverance of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That's important. Because this is the first time in Judges that God's making it very clear. It's already should be understood by after reading the entire book of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. God made it very clear that they're supposed to defeat the enemy. But it's almost like God knows, like, you guys are such ding-dongs now and know nothing about your purpose in life anymore. I'm going to specifically tell you. your purpose is. But Samson specifically told he's to begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So he's to eliminate them. This is very important. Verse six, the woman went out and said to her husband, a man sent from God came to me. He looked like God's angel's angelic messenger. He was very awesome. I did not ask him where he came from and he did not tell me his name. He said to me, look, you will conceive and have a son. So now do not drink wine or beer and do not eat anything, any food that will make you richly unclean. For the child will be dedicated to God from birth till the day he dies. Now, what is wrong with what she's saying? Yeah, she says, this guy came to me. I think he might have been an angel sent by God, but I'm not really sure. He told me I'm going to have a kid. I'm supposed to dedicate it to God. Don't you think you should be a little bit more clear? If some being comes up to you and says, you are commanded by God to go kill a bunch of Philistines and dedicate your child to God, then maybe you should be really sure who that guy is coming from. Notice that unlike Gideon, she doesn't even test him. Remember, it's, you're not allowed to test God to see if he's capable of doing things or faithful, but you're required by Deuteronomy 13 and 18 and later First John chapter 4 and a few other minor places to test every single spirit. Every single human, every single being that would come to you and say, "I'm from God," she doesn't test it. She's not even confident. She just says, "I think he looked like an angel. He was kind of awesome looking, but I'm not really sure. I didn't ask his name. I didn't see where he came from. But hey, he told us we're gonna have a child. We should dedicate him to God. Isn't that awesome news?" She's completely oblivious to what's really going on. And it doesn't seem like there's excitement. Like when Elizabeth and Mary find out they're having kids, they like run to tell people. She's kind of like, hey, husband, I met this guy out in the fields today. I think he might be from God, but I'm not sure. Hey, we're going to have a kid. And I know you can't hear her tone, but the nonchalantness kind of makes you feel like there's not like a huge celebration going on. Now, what does she leave out? She left out his purpose. She never told her husband that the son's purpose is delivering the Israelites. She never said that. So she leaves out the most important thing. So she doesn't even find out who this angel is really from. And she leaves out the purpose of her son. Now, thank God for her, she got lucky and it actually is an angel from God. But what happened if it wasn't? Now, Manoah kind of sensing maybe some details are left out maybe he knows his wife really well Mm -hmm. Manoah prayed to Yahweh please Lord allow the man and notice he doesn't say Yahweh either allow the man sent from God not angel just man to visit us again so he can teach us how we should raise a child and who will be and who will be born would he really have to pray that if she had communicated the full message? No. God answered Manoah's prayer, and God's angelic messenger visited the woman again while she was sitting in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. Now, we really want to know what God's doing there. Like He answered the husband's prayer and appeared to the wife without the husband being there. The woman ran at once and told her husband, Come quickly the man who visited me the other day has appeared to me. So Manoah got up and followed his wife and when he met the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to my wife? He said, yes. Manoah said, now when your announcement comes true, how should the child be raised and what should he do? Once again, is he testing the angel to see if it's really from God? No, he just says, hey, are you the guy who came to my wife the other day? Yeah. Okay, I believe you. Just total trust here. But knows he specifically says, what is the purpose of my son? What is he supposed to do? He knows that there's a reason. Why else would an angelic being come to you and tell you you're going to have a son when it's just like, hey, just wanted to give you one. It says, Yahweh's messenger told Manoah, your wife should pay attention to everything I told her. She should not drink anything that the grapevine produces. She must not drink wine or beer. And she must not eat any food that will make her richly unclean. She should obey everything I commanded her to do. He basically turns to the wife and basically says, you should listen. Now that's interesting. Because you don't really ever see that anywhere else in the Bible. Most of the time God specifically gives you the meaning or something like that. But the angel literally turns to the wife and says, you should be paying attention. But he kind of indirectly says it to the husband. Maybe it'll be less offensive that way. And he repeats the Nazarite stuff, but notice that he only repeats what she has already told her husband. She's already said to her husband, he's a Nazarite. So the angel only communicates what the wife has already told the husband, but does not communicate what she left out. And that is the purpose. Which is the very specific question that Manoah asked. What is his purpose? Here's the thing she never, ever tells her husband the purpose of Samson. What's the likelihood of a woman who can't tell her husband the purpose of their son a few hours after the angel comes, of her telling her son his purpose as she's raising him? Not very likely. Because by the time he's old enough to understand his purpose, he's probably going to be 12, 13, something like that. Maybe a little bit younger, but that's years. She can't even faithfully communicate it to him several hours later. And then when the angel appears again and says, what did I tell you? Tell your husband. She still can't tell her husband. And the question is why? Don't know. Was she not paying attention when the angel says that? Probably not because that's kind of unfair of God. He's not usually like that. But she seems to be oblivious to this. Now, what is her name? She has no name. And the reason is because she failed to communicate the purpose of Samson to him. God failed to mention her name in the Bible. One of the things that God does is that he actually a lot of times leaves you unnamed. And this is a way of kind of cursing you. Now, that's not true of everybody. Some people are so minor characters that they're just It's like a prophet comes by and says something. But if a character has dialogue and they're doing a lot of action and they're left completely unnamed, then they've usually done something wrong, and God is judging them. And so she failed to communicate who he is. Therefore, God failed to communicate who she is in his word. So Manoah said to Yahweh's messenger, Please stay here a while so that we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. And Yahweh's messenger said to Manoah, If I stay, I will not eat your food. But if you want to make a burnt sacrifice to Yahweh, you should offer it. And notice what they're saying Let us make an offering to you and feed you. That's how the pagans operate. Why do you make sacrifices to the pagan gods? To feed the gods. That's the purpose of sacrifices and paganism. You feed the gods and the gods blessing in return because they need it. Nowhere do you see any other biblical godly figure say, I want to feed you, God. Gideon doesn't even say, let me feed you, God. So they want to feed the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 no. If you want to make a sacrifice to God, that's fine, but don't offer it to me. Manoah said to Yahweh's messenger, tell us your name so that we can honor you. He still doesn't get it. The angels already directed him away from him and to God. And he's like, but tell us your name so we can honor you. He's completely oblivious. When you're announced, So we can honor you when your announcement comes true. Yahweh's messenger said to him, you should not ask me my name because you cannot comprehend it. Manoah took a young goat and grain offering and offered them on a rock to Yahweh. And Yahweh's messenger did an amazing thing as Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame went up from the altar toward the sky, Yahweh's messenger went up in it, while Manoah and his wife watched. They fell face down to the ground. Yahweh's messenger did not appear again to Manoah and his wife, and after all this happened, Manoah realized the visitor had been Yahweh's messenger. For the first time ever, he finally realizes this came from God, because the the food was just instantaneously incinerated by lightning like it was with Gideon. It's not until after the messenger leaves that he finally gets it. After he's already fumbled around trying to worship the messenger when he's not supposed to. Manoah said to his wife, we will certainly die because we have been seen the supernatural being. But his wife said to him, if Yahweh wanted to kill us, he should not have accepted the burnt offering. He would have never accepted the burnt offering, the grain offering. Of us. He would not have shown us all these things or spoken to us just now. So Manoah is completely scared now that because he's seen God, he's gonna, God's going to kill him. And Mano's wife has come and say, "Well, that's kind of the point of accepting. That's kind of against the point of accepting a sacrifice. The point of a sacrifice is that God's approving of you. He's accepted you, so to speak. He's not going to kill us." Now, notice that both of their theologies are completely incomplete. They both seem to be ding dongs, and if you can put them together, then you get somewhat of a complete theology, (laughs) because she has no idea what it means to test the spirit. And yet at least Manoah realizes we should ask more questions. But then Manoah and both of them think that they should worship the angel. He thinks that God's going to kill him because he's that kind of God. But she at least realizes, yeah, but he would never... And so you feel like if you put both of them together, you got a complete sandwich And this theology. Meanwhile, they've all completely missed the point. What is the purpose of Samson? What is the purpose of Samson? So this guy is doomed from the very beginning. Manoah's wife gave birth to a son and named him Samson. Samson means one like the sun. She doesn't even know, so Samuel, God hears me. Ishmael, God sees. Over and over again, lots of names throughout all the Bible basically communicate God in some way. And God has made it very clear you're not to be associated with the pagans. In the ancient world, the sun is one of the most pagan things. Now, you can say, yeah, but they know the sun's not really a god and that kind of stuff. Really? In the midst of all this idolatry? And even then, why would you even risk it? That's like, yeah, technically a pentagram is just a star, but at the same time, in this day and age in our culture, I don't really want to go get a giant pentagram tattooed on my back, no matter how cool it looks, (laughs) because it only communicates one thing in our culture anymore. And yes, technically, it's just a star, and it's totally not neutral. And there's nothing really evil about it. And God's the one that created that symbol. And a lot of the, the, star, the planet Venus moves in the, in the form of a pentagram. But at the same time, in our culture, you just don't do that. Yes, you might like wearing black all the time and painting your nails black and wearing black hair, but in our culture, you just don't do that. It communicates something of who you belong to. And so in this culture, to name your kid after the sun is not good, especially when the, the closest city to them, big city, is Beth Shemesh, which is the city of the sun god. And they actually worship the sun god there. And notice the only thing that she says that might have hinted at the fact that she thought it was an angel is that he looked awesome. It's very possible that she thinks the sun god came to her. And she named Samson one like the sun god. Because no matter how many times the angel said, don't worship me, don't honor me, don't sacrifice to me, they still don't seem to get it. And so there's a really good chance that she's, now it's totally obvious that his name is definitely pagan. It's definitely named after sun god. So not only does he grow up without knowing his purpose, but he grows up thinking that the sun god came to announce his birth. Now, he might even not know that because if she can't even communicate his purpose, she might even not even talk about the miraculous way that he came into existence. What we have is people who are completely oblivious. It's like the people that you encounter and they're like, I've never seen God show up in my life. And as a Christian, you're like, what about this time and this time? Like, I'm looking at your life and I can totally see how God was there and there and there and there. But they're completely oblivious to God and what he's doing.